Good morning everyone. In a couple of days time it will be Pentecost Sunday. Uh, listen to what the book of the Acts of the Apostle tells us. When the day of Pentecost had come they were all together in one place and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a mighty wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. You know there's no better proof that Jesus was who he said he was than the, the before and after pictures of the disciples. Before Pentecost they were dense, timid bumblers who fled at the least sign of trouble. Afterwards they were fearless leaders preaching the gospel, even going gladly to jail. So how did this transformation occur? Well, you can read all about it in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Now, the last thing Jesus told his disciples to do before his ascension was to go back to Jerusalem and wait there for God's promise to come true. They would be baptised by the Holy Spirit, he told them, and they'd be clothed with power from on high. They hadn't a clue what that meant, but they did as they were told. They went back to Jerusalem to that upper room where they'd spent so many hours before. And there they waited along with the women who'd come with them. They prayed while they waited, no doubt asking God to tell them what they were waiting for. How would they know when the power had fallen on them? Would it hurt? Would they tingle? How did the Holy Spirit go about baptising people? Jesus had said something about fire. That sounded dangerous. Maybe they should fill some buckets with water just in case. They didn't have to wait long. On the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, they were all together. First there was wind, then fire, then they overflowed with strange languages. They may not have known what they were saying, but the crowd they drew did. Devout Jews from all over the world stood around listening to a bunch of Galileans talk about the power of God in their own tongues, so that nobody was left out. The Holy Spirit turned out to be a phenomenal linguist whom everyone present could understand. And still it baffled them all, speakers as well as listeners. They started hunting for an explanation. They're filled with wine, somebody said. Drunk, in other words. Peter said no, it was only nine o'clock in the morning after all. And then he delivered a sensational sermon based on the Old Testament book of Joel, where Joel quotes God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. That's what's happening now, Peter tells them. The Holy Spirit's being poured out on them, and this is how it looks. Wind like the wind that revives the valley of the dry bones, and fire like the fire that led Israel through the desert, and tongues like the tongues at Babel, but in reverse. At Babel, human speech was confused so that people couldn't understand each other. At Pentecost, it's reversed. What sounds like babble is intelligible, is gospel, and everybody present understands it. According to the book of Acts, 3,000 were baptised that day. A miracle. It was the birthday of the Christian church, 
when a dozen bumblers received power from on high and proceeded to turn the world upside down. What happened in that room spread from Jerusalem to Athens to Rome to Alexandria. It spread across nations, across centuries, across cultures. Because of what happened in that room, people who didn't speak a word of Hebrew have come to believe in a Hebrew Lord who is worshipped today in every language upon earth. And it happened by the power of the Holy Spirit, which the Bible talks about in two ways. First, as the abiding presence of God in Christ with us now, with all the safety and comfort that that relationship promises. This is the spirit most of us know and love, the spirit of peace and reconciliation, the one that soothes our ruffled feathers and revives our weary souls, and the one who is with us always whenever we have the good sense to breathe in and say thank you. Wherever we find love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control present in our world, then we can say that the Spirit is at work. But there's another way the Spirit acts that isn't nearly so comforting. This is the Spirit who blows and burns. Ask anybody who was in that room at Pentecost what it was like to be caught up in the Spirit and whether it's something they would like to happen every Sunday afternoon. I remember once going to a church which is about as far from my comfort zone and as far from the rest of the Church of England as it's possible to go. The service began about 10 and ended around 2. A large choir, a band, a sound system working at full blast. The church was about half full when we started and people drifted in and out during the first hour. The music began to build and for three hours people sang and clapped and raised their arms in the air and danced. All the songs had pounding rhythms that built and built till people began to dance, to run around the church, to fall down. I felt I was caught in the middle of a thunderstorm, so I did what you're supposed to do. I put my hands in my pockets and made myself stand perfectly still. Lightning did not strike me, thank goodness, which was an answer to my prayer. But I've since wondered about my reaction. Was it simply a reaction to that kind of worship, or was it more than that? If I'd been in that front room on the day of Pentecost, would I have done the same thing? Oh God, if you're about to pour out your spirit, then this is what it looks like. Would you please pass by me? Am I the only one who wants an umbrella when it looks like the Spirit is about to come down with wind and fire? Only a fool would pray for the Spirit, said somebody. Only fools for Christ do. And he went on to suggest that the Spirit is most present at three open spaces in our lives. In the unpredictable, in the place of risk and in those areas over which we have no control which is precisely where the disciples were, the unpredictable, the risky, with no control. And that's where we are too, more times than we would like to admit, not only as individuals, of course, but as members of this body, this church that was born 2,000 years ago. 
it isn't wrong to pray for the gentle spirit at such times as we're experiencing. To pray for God to restore predictability, to remove us from risk and to give us back the comforting sense of control that helps us sleep more easily at night. But Pentecost is our reminder that there's another side to God's nature, one that can set us on fire, transform our lives and turn the world upside down. It's not predictable, it's risky, and it's beyond our control. But one thing we can do is to fold up our umbrellas and put them away. If we want to be fools for Christ, that is. If we want to be clothed with power from on high. Amen.